Have you ever awoken to find yourself in silken sheets of a king-size four-poster bed and you gather up the fine cloth like water in your hands and you wrap it around you as you make your way out to the balcony that overlooks the city below. A city by the sea and the horizon is glistening and you are living in your high mansion on the hill and you have become wealthy and prosperous here. Success has been yours. You built it up from the ground. One thing that went right and then another, plus a viral something else and then the big commission that came from that company and the next and then there was the other one and the next and the next and the money was flowing and the world knew your name. This fame was what would show all those doubters back home. This fame would prove to them all that you could do this and yet now this you have done and it all looks so empty. This great thing you built You realize it is not what you thought it would be, wanted it to be. It has become a monstrosity. But it's it's confusing because the journey certainly led you here to this city. You arrived one day with your tribe after months and months of travel through deserts and forests and valleys and wilds and toil and grime. And you're here, here you decided to stay for a time. And it was in this city that you made a name for yourself. But just as the people knew your name, you seemed to lose it forget him, forget who you were, who you are, and you wonder, when was it that you lost your way? When was it that fame became your destiny? When did you forget what was important to you on the journey? It was just one decision and one more, and at that time, you didn't think it would take you too far from the vision you had held in your heart since that unfamiliar tune began to sing to you. The unfamiliar tune, you can't even quite remember the melody anymore. It must be somewhere in your memory, but it's not in your soul. It's not driving you forward. You have everything, and yet none of it feels real. So this day, you walk the city streets and you see the familiar faces and all the people greet you with their wide smiles, except the ones that look away. There's a face you know you should remember, for they were with you on this journey before this city, weren't they? But now you can't can't quite even remember their name and in a flash they're gone. And the tribe that once called you family, you don't even know where they are anymore. So you chase that face down the city street, around a corner and another to the edge of the city. You come to the wall at the edge of the town and there the figures just disappeared through a gate. There's a little gate in the wall you hadn't seen before, a tiny door in the wall of this city and just for a moment there's the slightest sound of some song that floats through and so you stop hand to gate, you slowly push it open and there they are. Your tribe, your people, they hadn't left you, you had left them, but they've been waiting, believing you would be back, that you wouldn't forget the reason for this and they embrace you and they embrace even unworthy of their love as you feel your people, your family embrace you. Sorry is all you can say to those you once journeyed so closely with. We know, they say as one, we know. And there standing with them is a woman, vaguely familiar. She once gave you a compass and told you to walk in a direction southeast, she said, is a good way to go. And she speaks now. Come great, have you, love? She asked. You don't even know how to answer. You just shake your head and she says softly to you, it's okay. We all forget sometimes. So let me tell you something I had to learn on my own journey. You can't be great, my friend, unless you give up the desire to be great. And then... Well, then you can become the greatest in the world. You can pursue the way with eager feet, but whether you succeed or whether you fail, it will not matter anymore.
she points out from the wall and out from the city she points out to the sea you can stay she says if you want if this is what you want money and fame and success you can stay but that way that way is southeast and i know that there is more for you than just success there is a dream much greater than just you Wait, out out to sea? That's where I have to go? I don't don't know how to sail. I don't know anything about the ocean, you say to her. That's okay. Comes the voice of all your forgotten tribe. We've been journeying still whilst waiting for you, and some of us have learnt the way of the sea. We can show you how to sail. You look forward toward the ocean, and you look back toward the city. It is no easy decision, this leaving, this feeling, this tearing, this choice, it reminds you of back a long time ago now when you first chose to leave home and so once more time you see the horizon and slowly, slowly you walk away, you make the choice and slowly, slowly you walk toward the harbour and the ocean and whatever might await you out there in the wide open world, southeast we go Southeast, friends, welcome to the deep place. Friends, you are listening to season three of the Deep Place podcast. And in this season, we are going on a journey, the creative journey. My name's Joel McCarrow, and I'll be somewhat of a guide through the strange and wild lands that make up our creative worlds. So would you take my hand, shake the dust, pick up your packs, And let's go. The Deep Place podcast was recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, a land that was stolen. As a podcast, we pay our respects to the traditional custodians and storytellers of this land. And we thank Auntie Di Kerr for her blessing to tell stories and poetry on this land. Look, I gotta admit, I love a nice four-poster, king-size, silken sheet kind of bed. Uh, I love those. Mo- I remember there was this um, poetry tour that I was on once that I'd been staying in like um, the the dusty, forgotten basement rooms of poets around Australia uh, in the dirty, dingy world of of student life, and um, and then I was doing this. I can't even remember who it was. For, I was doing this gig, and they put me up in the. Um, the penthouse suite of this nice, beautiful hotel. And I, I'm sitting there um, drinking, a, I think I was drinking a wine and I'd gotten the bathrobe, the nice glorious robe around me. And I'm dangling there, my feet in the spa that was in my room. And I take a photo to send to my wife. Probably not the best move ever to do when your wife is at home looking after the kids and you send a photo of you in a penthouse suite. Not not a good move. Just putting it out there. Not a great move. But I do love <laughs> the beautiful luxe aesthetic things of life. And, and admitting that now can be hard because I'm also so passionate about sustainability in this world and so passionate about um, caring for this world and the many, many who don't have who don't have much in this life and here's me getting put up in a nice hotel or, or whatever it might be and there's this wrestle isn't there like there's this wrestle for all of us what does it look like to live authentically and genuinely in this life and still be able to um, appreciate the good things still be able to give ourselves to uh things that make us feel good and wonderful. That's a hard tension. Like that is a hard 
ethical tension that we all must live out. And then to to build on that, um, when we are succeeding and things are going well, when things are glorious in our lives, um, there's a tension there too. Sometimes it's the tension of feeling guilty uh, about things going so well when others, other creatives' lives are not going well, other people around you, their life is horrible, things have gone from bad to worse, they go wrong, they go wrong, and you're just living like your your best life, things are fantastic. Um, or perhaps the tension is actually at some point you did somewhere make this decision that led to another decision that led to now you don't even recognize who you are anymore. Um, what does, what, how do we walk these tensions as creatives between um, success and failure between trying to live out a life that we love, um, how can I justify spending thousands of dollars on photography equipment when there are people overseas who are starving? Ah, How do we deal with these ethical questions? What can we do? How can we live our lives well whilst at the same time helping others to live their lives well? We're talking success and that wrestle today. That's what we're talking. We're talking being in the city, making a name for ourselves. And, And like... Please hear me from the very start as we talk about the the city on the hill. I'm not I'm not someone who says, well, whatever happens happens. If success wants to find me, then it can find me. And I'll like I'll do nothing but if success finds me or whatever. I'm 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 not this kind of person. Um and I think often when people have this kind of attitude um that they that they won't chase anything, that they'll do their creative work and never, never try to get it published, never try to release it out into the world, never try to find a, um, a an exhibition space that will put it up, never try to um, to get this or that to put it out there. I actually, I think um, m- many people that I talk to and the many that I've journeyed with over the years through mentoring them, for many that that idea actually has become their crux. Like it's a form of self-sabotage. Like they they say, oh, no, I don't, I'm not into that success thing. Um, uh, like it's almost the this pendulum swinging idea. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, like I'm not... I'm not advocating in this episode for not trying to succeed, for not trying to succeed. I, I will still create and I will chase and I will chase trying to get my things out there in the world. I still will try to have as much impact as I can, but I, have come, I feel like I've come to the place where if I don't succeed, I know that I'll be okay. And, and this changes everything about how I engage. This changes everything about how I engage with this world. I have changed the way that I see success. I've changed the way that I make my decisions, that I make my ethical choices in life. The, what I'm saying is the, the pendulum is swung by some people too far into trying to make a name for themselves. Absolutely, 100% in our society of fame and, and that idea of success that is sold by, um, by the media elite, by whoever you want to say. So like we know the Western dream. We know how persuasive that thing is that, that says you put yourself first regardless of anyone else in the world, whoever you step on, et cetera, et cetera. I was just talking with someone, um, a designer yesterday who was in the world of, um, before she was doing design stuff, she was in the world of um, the legal world, um, working for lawyers. And she was just like, she was just saying how awful it was, how badly treated people treated each other to get up the next the next rung in that corporate ladder. It was just awful. And none of them were happy. None of them, as in none of them were living a contented life. They were all stressed out of their brain, workaholics, families breaking down. Their life sucked. She was talking about as well, like um, this this billionaire that she's working for at the moment, who's like, who has no friends, 
like a, a billionaire, I, literally a billionaire, and he doesn't have friends. What kind of what kind of life are we being sold with? With this, where the Western dream has f- failed. Like, look at our society that has pushed this idea for so long, and yet now there is there is a a not only just the pen the viral pandemic that we've just had, but a pandemic of anxiety and stress and um, depression and um, the, there's just intense statistics about the amount of stress, etc., that we all are under trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to have this thing that, that advertising sells us, that we're meant to have all of this stuff and we break our backs and we break our families and we break ourselves upon this false reality, this mansion on the hill. We don't want that. And I know for most of my listeners, you're like, yes, I don't want that. But here's the thing. The answer is not just swinging it back the other way and saying, well, whatever, like I won't pursue excellence then. I won't pursue what the good life looks like for me. I'll, I'll just be that, uh, that martyr. I'll just be that martyr. I, I wonder if there is a third way between this pendulum swinging. There's always a third way. And I think this third way begins with redefining what success is for you. Notice I didn't say for us. Like I don't think success, I don't think success is a collective thing. I think you need to work out what success looks like for you and then absolutely pursue it. Run after it. Give your whole self to chasing that dream. But remember why. Remember why on your way toward that dream, don't get distracted by what our celebrity, fame-addicted, money-addicted culture tells you success is. The, the question today, the question we're getting at today really is, how do we not sell out in the city of success? That's, that's what we're talking about. How do we not sell out in the city of success? Friends, let's get into it. It is time for a few quick words from our sponsors, like the wonderful people at The Practice Co. Uh, Here's what someone said about them in a review of their app. They said, Across the years, I've leaned into a life of faith that was worked out via a list of shoulds and should nots that I've gleaned from a four-point sermon. But as life has progressed and real events like death, sorrow, unexpected endings happen, my faith instructions on life have kind of failed me. For me, the daily readings from this app have offered up real words that have helped to frame a different lens that I now do life through. If you want that kind of app to help you every day in your spiritual journey, then go have a look at thepracticeco.com. If you're someone who's part of the Christian tradition and has always wanted to uh, to study, to do some some online theology study, you can do that uh, with ACOM acom.edu.au and you can do it from anywhere because it's totally online so go and have a look at that for both undergraduate and postgraduate studies Uh, you can study creativity and spirituality with me you can study the art of discernment which sounds really cool you can study spiritual mentoring the art and science of formation or just spiritual formation and personal transformation in general there's so many really great uh, courses so go and have a look and shoot them an email to say you're interested uh, in their programs. You know, I, um, I've been really successful in my poetry career. Uh, I have, and I, and I can, I mean, it's, it's bringing up weird chills down my spine to even say that, like I don't want to say that because it, it sounds like I'm big noting myself, which especially in Aussie culture and Australian culture, it's not something you do. But I, um, so I struggle to even say that because I don't want it to come out of a, out of a place of pride, out of my ego. But I, actually, I think, I think it's important to name. I think it's important for each of us to name our successes 
to name where we have been successful. Um, and so I'm naming it. I'm naming it, darn it. Um, I, have, I have built a successful poetry career for, for many years. I have been hard work doing this thing, making good decisions, making bad decisions, um, trying to bring about a career in which I can support my family and my life and the way that I want to live. Again, doing it well sometimes and not doing it well other times. Absolutely, I admit that. Um, does, does that mean I've sold out though? Like if I have this successful poetry career, have I sold out? I hope not. Like I don't think I have. I've, I've done corporate gigs. I've done commissions for companies, voiceovers for companies. Does that mean I've sold out? I really don't think so. Like often the people who talk about, oh, so-and-so is just a sellout or that person just a sellout. Often I've got to say the people I most hear that from are saying it out of jealousy. And again, this is not me trying to big note myself and saying people are being jealous about who I am or whatever, but but there's this thing inside us that we're like, because I, I know, I think I admit it, I was talking about this in one of the other episodes of that thing that comes up in me that I hate, that's when I feel jealous towards someone. But one of the things that we do when we when we do that, when our ego gets involved, is we we want we just want to bluff them off. So we bluff them off in whatever way. We'll diss them in whatever way. And one of the main ways that we diss people when we feel small, when we feel that negative voice coming up in us that says we are small. One of the ways we do that. Nah, they're just a sellout. That person's just a sellout because they're doing well. And and so I would encourage us firstly, if we're talking about success and we're talking about not selling out, check ourselves, check yourself as to when we, when I critically judge someone in that way, often I don't know the story behind them and their life and what they have done to become who they are. And it's so important to recognize that behind success stories is the the 10,000 hours of bloody hard work and the sacrifices and the toil and the sweat and the all those things. And so, so it is it's not our place it's not our place to judge the sellout of other people it is our our prerogative to look at ourselves only and make sure we do not sell out whatever that looks like. And we're going to get into a little more of, of what that looks like. Um, I, I mentioned previously that I just have spent a week recently with a bunch of interior designers. Uh, and so I've been thinking a lot about design recently and some of the wonderful things that I learned and took away from spending a week with a bunch of, of interior designers. Um, th- things like how beautiful it is when these amazing, incredible people that I got to hang out with don't just see, here's the thing. It's like when I use my words, I am I'm taking these things that I put letters together and they become words, and I put words together, they become sentences, and I share those sentences, and somehow things explode. Like the the sum of these parts is way greater than the parts themselves. And for these designers, like they're painting people's walls and they're bringing in furniture and they're hanging things, um, they're putting sculptures and hanging things on the walls and they're, they're design like they're doing this stuff that you could just go, well, they're just making things pretty. They're just, but the heart of so many of these um, incredible interior designers that I was talking to, their heart is not just to make nice things, not just to make a nice place for someone, but rather that they bring these things in and the sum of what they create is far greater than just the little, the parts that they put together. As in there, they create a space that holds someone and makes them feel safe after being out in the chaos of our world to come home and get to breathe out. They get to do that. What an honor. What a huge honor. So I loved spending time and learning um, from these incredible people. And, I, and because of that, 
I want to kind of use some of what I learned and some thinking around design and building a house to talk through today. I want to I want to build a house. Let's build a house today, friends. A house that can survive in the city of success. Um, a a grand designs masterpiece. Let's build our creative practices and lives into grand designed masterpieces, or perhaps not. And this is this is where we very quickly come into what I want to name straight up about the building of a building the house of our career, that what success looks like is determined only by the people who want to live there, a space that may hold them. These interior designers, they go in and they spend time with their clients, with the people, um, and they they don't just make a space that is nicer. For so many of them, they're passionate creating a space for their clients that can hold them in a way that they want to or or need to be held to not care about just wanting nice things in a house. What mattered was the story of the client and how they might create a dwelling that truly held their story. See, here's the thing with with our creative careers. Too many of us are trying to make grand designs mansions out of our creative careers when actually what we want and what we need is no mansion at all. Like that's not the story of of me. The story of me is a little shack, a little riding shack in the forest. Uh, Or perhaps it's a a tiny home on the edge of the ocean. Or it's a sustainable earth-built house dug out of a hill. Um, Or it's it's a house with a massively large table to hold all the people. Like what I'm, what I'm saying is if, if you're going to build the house of your creative career in the city of success, then make sure it's the house you actually want. Th- throw out the plans that someone else has given you about what success should look like. Those mansion plans of fame and fortune are not your plans. So what are your plans then? What would be the house that you want to live in? that would most support you in your lifestyle? That's the questions we need to be asking ourselves. Not how do I, not, not how do I get this success and chase after like, but rather what am I actually chasing after? That has to be the first thing. What does your, what would your successful creative practice look like? What would your successful creative vocation? So bigger than just our creativity, but the way we want to live in all of our lives, what does that look like? And not just like, yes, with our careers, and we'll get more and more into careers in a second, but also not that you're all doing this as a career, but as a, um, as a practice within your life, creativity at the core and heart of who you are. Um, how do we, what kind of building does that look like? Whether it's career, whether you're paid for it or not. Um, but more than this, also without, with like the little individual creative projects that we do. In all the creative projects that you do, we put all this this pressure on ourselves to create something that's successful. But our measures of success are so often just stupid. Like, (laughs) I'm really being really nice to you today. Stop being stupid, everyone. Um, They're someone else's blueprints of success. They're not your own. So what does the success of a project look like for you? Like I put to you that the measure of success should be different for every project. That's one thing. And for every project that I do, I sit with that project and think, what would for me to take this to the best possible outcome that I could, what would that be for this project? You need to ask that for your own projects. The measure of success should be different from every project because all projects have their own separate blueprints. There's not one blueprint that you're building when you start a painting and when you're doing something else. So why force your work into what the amorphous blob of what they want is, whoever the they might be within your own creative mode? Like, And I'm not saying don't make things with people in mind. I mean, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that this is one of my favorite things to do to create things for people. But please don't make things for that 
faceless audience of critics. No, no, no. Make things for a beloved friend. Make them for that audience member whose life is falling apart. Create, when you create something, the way I think that it becomes a success is when we imbue it with the love, with as much love as we can for the people, for the person that we are creating it for. Not, not when we're trying to check it on the parameters and measurements of success of the critics. No, 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 no. But rather when we pour our love into it. It's that Khalil Gibran quote that says, when you bake a bread without love, you bake a bitter bread. Rather, work is love made visible. That's what makes our things successful when we pour our love into them. And and I've got to say, most of all, when we pour, when we make this thing, yes, for others, but when we make it for us, when we pour the love for ourselves into it, for you, what if the success of a creative project might be named before the project even makes its way out into the world. Like, I actually think this is the way that it should be. What if success of any creative project is about you creating in a way that brings your whole self to the enterprise so that it changes who you are? You write the book that you need to read. You write the song that you need to hear. You paint that painting you need to see so that the creative project and the process you go on to bring it about so that it changes your life. And then any other lives that it changes once you bring it out into the world, that's just a glorious bonus. What if the success of a project is in the process itself? What this means is that you, you can paint a painting that never, ever sells. You, you might write a novel that never gets published. And both of these creative pieces might be the most beautiful, successful things you ever do. Why? Because you filled them with love. Because they changed you. Because they changed you. The process you went on changed you. The characters you met in your writing changed you. The, the painting that you brought about, it changed how you see the world. Therefore, it is a success. I remember when I was writing my book Woven, Woven, A Faith for the Dissatisfied, going, looking at the journeys that we all go on in terms of worldview and spirituality and understanding and all that kind of stuff. And I remember so much of that process was bringing together the stories of my life. And and there's not many times, like, there's not many times we choose to do that. But it was really important it was so important for me to look at these. And if you've read Woven or, or, or go and check it out, here's a little plug for Woven, A Faith for the Dissatisfied. You can get it from Um And it bring, it's full of different stories and experiences of my life that when I thought about the journey that I've been on, these were the experiences that came back to me. And in my reflection upon those experiences, and in seeing them in the framework that I was building within Woven, within that journey, that spiritual journey that we go on, it was seriously like <sighs> the writing of it changed my life. It changed my life. It made me realize who I am shaped by all those things and experiences and, and the, the frameworks that I've read and the experiences that I've had and how they come together. I came out of writing that book a different person, 100%. And so no matter whether, and that book I got for a long time, got rejections and rejections and I found an agent and then, and then it got published and, <laughs> and it got released just before COVID hit. And I still have boxes of this book sitting in, <laughs> sitting in the studio that I'm recording this in because I got to tour it a little bit before COVID hit, but I really didn't get to do the full thing as many people who released books just at the time of COVID. 
or, or had whatever projects going or whatever it was. Is it therefore a failure? Was it a failure? No, I don't see it as a failure. And one, because it did get out there and got to many people whose lives were changed because they read it. But that was only the, the cherry on the top. It was the icing on the top of the cake that I had built that was woven because it changed me in the writing. That was the success of it, friends. That was the success of it. So regardless of whatever happened, whether it got to come out in the world, and then when it did, that because of COVID, it couldn't reach what it could have reached, and because of a number of other things as well that I'm not going to go into, now it is still a success because it changed me and because it's changed the people that have read it. But first and foremost, whether no one read it at all, it is still a success. Friends, this is what I want you to be thinking about. As you create your next project, as you do your next thing, stop doing it for the, the masses. Do it for the, the people you love and the audience you love and do it for yourself. Do it for yourself. And that, that is a way better definition of success. And then as our works get out there, we might we may not even know we may not even know what it'll mean for someone. The many lives that are changed that we may never even hear about. And occasionally I get people who come up to me or emails sent to me about something, some poem or some book or something that I that I look back on and I'm like, oh, I don't even know if that was that was anything. And then I get a poem and this person's like, oh, I've been meaning to email you or oh, I really want, when they bump into me, I really wanted to tell you at some point, this like thing that you did changed my life. We'll never know how many people out there get changed by the things that we do if we commit to bringing our works out into the world regardless of whether they will, I'm doing uh, those ears, what are the bunny ears, those quotation marks right now, succeed, quotation marks, or not. That's the challenge. In a station in the London underground, there is a woman who sits on the platform and listens. She listens to this announcement. And it may not seem much to us who listen now, just another station announcement, but Margaret Collum is listening to the voice of her husband. And her husband has died many years ago this widow, she still goes to the station and sits and listens. She goes to the station and she sits and listens just to hear his voice again, just to hold the man close. Mind the gap. So when his voice was replaced by an electronic recording, Margaret in distress went to the London Transport Company and asked them for the recording. They did one better. They restored the original announcement at the stop where Margaret lives. The embankment stop on the Northern Line. Her husband, Oswald, was an actor who never really made it. But perhaps his love and his legacy lives on more than making it ever could. And so moving on from creative projects to our creative careers, be it fame or fortune or accolades or whatever, this, these mansions on the hill, these things for most of us are simply not what makes success. 
It's not about the mansions so esteemed by the masses. Uh, a billionaire living in a mansion lonely with no friends is no success story. And we know this. So we throw this idea out pretty easily. But here's the thing. We don't then do the hard work of working out what success therefore looks like for us. We can name what it isn't that we don't want to sell out. That's the naming of what it isn't. But what it, what, what is it then? I would say that success comes about in your creative career when you define who it is you want to be in this life, the lifestyle and the being of your creative practice, and then from there begin to work out the doing of how you are going to get there to this being, the giving of yourself to this creative path, or or, or that's the working out who am I and therefore what do I do to be this person, to be, to have this creative presence in this world, this creative practice. It's the giving of yourself to this creative path. This is the success. Vince Lombard says, the price of success is hard work, dedication to the job at hand and the determination that whether we win or lose, we have applied the best of ourselves to the task at hand. Or Swami Sivananda says, put your heart, mind, and soul even into your smallest acts. This is the secret of success. The way that I want you to think about it in terms of building this house is is we start with our blueprint, the, the why of what we do. And then we sink in the foundations into the earth. The foundations are our core convictions about life about who we are, about the world, about creativity, about God, about whatever core convictions you have. Uh, And onto those foundations, we then build the support structures, the structural frame of our values and of our character. And then onto that frame, we're able to build up the walls and the roof of our, our creative practices and our ethical choices And then we do the interiors. Then we do the decorating and the creative stuff. Like here's the problem. Most creatives, we literally have just the final, just the interior design. That's what we focus on. But it's built on shitty foundations with with no planning and and blueprint, with, with no strong frame. And then we wonder why the whole thing topples over in the wind of our life. If if we're not going to sell out in the city of success. We've got to spend time reflecting on the kind of building that holds our creativity, building the house of our lives to then hang the creative goods up inside. Up in up in Byron Bay at this design retreat, we heard from one of Australia's best designers, Dylan Farrell, um, a hugely successful interior designer about all that undergirds his practice. And friends, it was intense. Like it was, there was so much, he's put in so much thought about what sits underneath what people see of his stuff. Like the amount of thought he's put into it, the philosophy and the values, the goals, that, that all that stuff. I just, I left thinking, oh, no wonder he's so successful, yet he still holds under the heart of what he wants his creative business to be about because he's so very intentional about all that he does, all that lies underneath. Not the pretty stuff that everyone gets to see, but the stuff that holds the stuff together, the, the stuff beneath the buildings. Like my house at the moment seems to be like for like literally my I'm not talking metaphorically right now I'm talking my actual house is having like cracks because it it seems like it's sinking at the front or something who knows um it's an old house and and we've done all the pretty things inside it but now there's cracks starting to form because perhaps the foundations weren't as solid when whoever built it many many years ago built the thing they didn't build it with the solid foundations or maybe there's just too much water in the soil or who the hell actually knows but I what you know what I hate doing? I hate spending money on things that you don't get to see. Like it's the same with my with replacing the the roof. Like who wants to replace a roof when you when your things, the roof tiles are getting too whatever and who wants to do that when people don't get to see it? Like you want when you want to spend money on something, you want people to be able to see what you're spending money on. But to ignore the cracks that are forming could be to my own detriment, <laughs> our own detriment. When our house bloody well falls down, uh, as pretty as the house might be, if it doesn't have that those foundational things, 
And this is, this is what Dylan Farrell was saying, is the lack of fundamentals is what leads to problems, what leads to the problems. Any problem that he has had, any client issues or things that have gone wrong, whatever it is, he can trace it back to a lack of fundamental to intentional choice and intentional decisions based on his core fundamental convictions about his creative practice, 100%. So we've got to come back to the core fundamentals. So let me pick up. Um, let me pick up on five of these fundamental things, five fundamentals to building this house within the city of success so that we do not sell out and lose ourselves. First is the blueprint. We start with the blueprint. Um, this is the this is a teleological thing. Remember in the, a few episodes ago, we we're talking about atelic and telic things. Uh, atelic is the things we do that, that we just do them because we want to do them and they don't have an endpoint. They don't have a goal. We just get to play. The telic things, telic is having, telic is an event with an inherent endpoint. That like, and it's that endpoint that shapes what comes before it. You start with the endpoint and then reverse engineer. This is what I'm talking about here. A blueprint for your creative practice um, then allows you to, to reverse engineer. It allows you to take that blueprint and work out, okay, how am I going to build this thing? The blueprint shows us the building that we are building that we will know if we're spending all this time constructing some wall over there. If it's not in the blueprint, then we've gone off course. We're building for no reason. Stop making that wall over there and, and get back to the, to the building. Get back to the blueprint. The blueprint is that, that vision that you've been heading for on this creative journey since the beginning, that unfamiliar tune that called you on the journey, that thing that hopefully you've been getting more clarity about when we were coming through the desert and then when we were coming into sanctuary. We're getting more clarity about this thing we're heading towards. Um, we've talked about it before um, when we were lost in the forest, <laughs> getting more clarity on this thing. I wonder, I wonder if your blueprint has some of that clarity that you could name it that you could really say, this is what I'm building with my creative practice. This is the thing I'm heading towards. And perhaps this, the, the best blueprints can be found in, in the Venn diagram. I love a good Venn diagram. Venn diagram between the, the Venn that lies between your deep gladness and the world's deep pain. This is what Frederick Buechner um, says our vocation. Our vocation lies in the intersection of your deep gladness and the world's deep pain, that intersection of what makes you come alive and where that meets the deep hunger and pain and thirst of our world. We start in that place. If you can sit in that place, what makes me come alive and what do I see in this world that I want to see change that makes me angry? Bring those two things together and success will be yours. Blue, The blueprint you're heading towards will be successful because you're not just heading towards what's good for you. You're heading towards how does who you are and the stuff that you love play out in a way that is much larger than you, that brings about a better world, a better society. That is what makes, Frederick Beekner says, that's what gives the contented life. That is what we should be basing our success around. What, what do you desire? The, the mirror of Erised in, um, in Harry Potter, what do you desire? What do you see? Look at that mirror and what does the world need and how do these things come together? How do these things come together? That's your blueprint. And write it. Don't just sit there listening to me rabbit on. Gosh, get out a paper and write it down. Spend some time. This is like course stuff, you guys. This is core stuff and course stuff. This is the stuff that I do in, in, in courses. Write it down. What is that blueprint? What do you see in the mirror? What makes you... Think about it as... Um, if you look up Ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I, it's the Japanese philosophy around what success, what a holistic life, a calling, a vocation might be. Uh, and if you just look that up, if you just Google that and spend some time thinking, it kind of has, it's a four-way Venn diagram, four circles that come together, that bring together that which you love, that which the world needs, that which you can be paid for and that which you are good at. Come together to become you living your holistic, contented, best life. That which you love, that which the world needs, that which you can be paid for and that which you're good at. Bring those things together. That's your passion, your mission, your vocation and your profession. Bring those together and that is the place of, that's your blueprint. That's your blueprint. That is what you are heading 
towards. And if that seems too much for you, just come back to that intersection of what you desire, what makes you glad, and how that comes together with the world's deep suffering and pain and thirst, the thirst of this world. Think about those blueprints, and then we're going to come to step two. Step two in the building of our building, we move from the blueprints into the solid foundations. These these are the core convictions. Our foundations are our core convictions. Yes, about our creativity, but more than that. I'm talking core convictions about the big things of life, the things that you believe as important in life. Um, Have you named them for yourself before? The beliefs you hold up about creativity, about humanity, about spirituality, about relationships. These are like like statements of belief for you. Think about it like a creed. Me growing up in in church world, in evangelical world, we had the Apostles' Creed. We had to memorize um, as I had to memorize as a kid to I don't know get some badge or something like that when I was in Sebs, which was a little bit like Scouts. But you got badges for memorizing Bible verses instead of hiking through the forest. No, we did hike through the forest. And we made we tied knots and stuff as well. Um, but we had to memorize the, the Apostles' Creed. Like what is it? Uh, I believe in God, the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son. The, and I, maybe I've forgotten it now. I'm going to fail. I'm not going to get my badge. Um, I'm sure I could remember it. The Apostles' Creed, a creed, it was kind of a statement of belief for, for the evangelical church. Um, what would your statement of belief be? Like, what would your creed, what are the your, your core convictions, your foundations? If you've never spent time nutting them out, thinking them through, it's so important. Maybe even now, make a list, 10 kind of I believe statements. Start with that. What do you believe? What's important to you? The most important things like I believe that creativity is at, is at the core of every single human, whether they realize it or not. Boom. There's my statement of belief. A core conviction of mine. I believe that creativity is one of the greatest sources of healing in the world. Full stop is my conviction. I believe that humanity and therefore each and every individual is inherently good and wonderful and worthy of dignity just as they are. There's my statement of belief. That's your solid foundations. That's your core convictions. And then we're going to come to step three. We've got these core convictions now. We've got core convictions. We've got the the foundations. Now we're going to build our support structure. We're going to build the frame where we're going to we're going to put together the wood that's going to be the frame that's going to hold the rest of the thing together. Um, if we do not, if you if you are not intentionally shaped by your own values, you will live out somebody else's values. You will. You'll live out somebody else's. This is about intentionally choosing the values you're going to live out of that support structure structure built upon the the foundations is is all about values your convictions will then lead into certain values the character that you're going to have to live your life out so so you name the values that stem out from your convictions like it might be one word or a few words and then do like a sentence descriptor so it could be um, have a look at your core convictions, your I believes that you wrote and then I and then write I value what do you value I value justice which is amplifying the voice of others so that their voice is louder in this world than my own or I value presence the choice to lay down my own agenda and truly be present with and listen to those around me. What do you value? What are the values that you're going to live out? Do like one word things and then do descriptors for yourself. These are the walls that you're building, solid construction framework that you're building on top of the foundations. Our convictions, stemming out of our convictions comes our values. And then stemming out of our values is step four. (music) 
step four is the walls and the roof themselves. The walls and the roof. Um, uh, part of this we've already done, if you've been listening to this podcast, like we've been thinking over the last, over a few episodes ago about the practices that you will live out to work toward the building of the house, practices of action and of contemplation in winter seasons, in summer seasons, in spring, in, in autumn, in fall. We've looked a bit at these practices already. Now it's time to have a look and see if these practices are actually stemming out of your convictions and your values. Because this enables you to say, okay, I'm, these are the practices I'm doing, but they're not coming out of my core convictions out of my, or out of my values. And if so, then it might be time to let those practices go. They could be some great practices, but if they're not building the walls to your thing, to your blueprint that you're making, this thing you're going to create, if they're not if they're not leading to that, if they're not the support structure for that, if they don't come out of the, the foundations, then they're being built somewhere else. There might be some practices you need to stop or, or at least change up a little bit. This helps us to, to change the, the practices that we're engaging in, the rhythms that we're engaging with. Or you might have said, okay, this is, I've said now that this is the core conviction, this is the value. But now as you look, there's like nothing, not a thing that you do practically that actually embodies that. And so you're naming that there's a difference between your rhetoric and your reality. This is one of the things that helps us to do that, to go, actually, if I, if I say this is a conviction, that's got to have some practices. Like it's got to have, it's got to come out in my creative practice in some kind of way. So one of, one of the ways that I did this um, was in relation to me, to me as a, as a white middle-class male. When I, when I went through kind of those really hard self-confrontational moments of recognising the many, many white male voices that have been in this world. And so as a creative person, as someone who is out the front bringing my voice out into this world and recognising there's so many white male voices do I just, should I just shut up then? Like, should I just stop doing what I'm doing so that others who are not in my culture have a voice? And I, I remember like, re- I had to wrestle, I wrestled so hard through this, feeling like, nah, I should just, I should just, st- should I just stop? And I remember chatting with my friend, Hannah Chapman, a beautiful, incredible um, Maori lady in New Zealand. And, and she was like, no way, don't, stop, don't, don't stop. Let's work out instead. Like that's just swinging the pendulum the other way, you know, talking about the pendulum thing before. Don't swing the pendulum the other way and therefore just think, no, instead work out what's a different way. How can I bring my work out into this world in in that third way? And so for me, in in talking about it with her and with other people, um, with other people outside of my own culture and saying, well, how do I, what does it look like then for me to, support the voices, kind of minority voices or voices that are not heard, I therefore made the commitment, the ethical choice, what if when I release something out into the world, I also commit to, to joining someone whose voice is not being heard like mine can be heard and help them to release their work out in the world. That's a, a, a choice that I made, an ethical choice, a, a practice that I've brought into my creative practice, trying to work out how do I take those core convictions and those those values I want to live on? What does that look like as practices? What does that look like in terms of my ethical choices? This, this when we have convictions and values, they can govern our ethical choices that we make. Like when I got the, an offer to do a, a commission poem for it, it was going to be an, a nationally televised advertising campaign to do voiceover for a drink company. But the drink company, it was as I was like, oh, and it was lots of money. It was, it would have had my voice out there nationally. Like it was a massive campaign and that I, and a, a big amount of money I'd make in a few weeks of work. Um, lots of exposure, but then they told me it was in partnership with 
with a, a major horse racing corporation that does all the, the horse racing stuff here in Australia. And for me, uh, that may not be have any issue for you, but for me, there's an, there's an issue there. I don't agree with um, so much of what happens in horse racing and gambling and all that kind of stuff. And so I couldn't do it. It did not match my, my values coming out of my core convictions. So I said, no, I made that ethical choice to say no um, to doing that. Um, this this line, the line between what you're willing to do and what you are not, if, if you in the heat of the moment have to somehow work it out, you'll likely make a decision you regret. But if you make beforehand, like now, like now, then the decisions that stem out of this work that we're doing now through this podcast you're so much more likely to walk in line with yourself and find this success without selling out, without selling out, going without going against, and this is what selling out is, going against your own internal values and convictions. So make the decisions now with clarity of thought, coming out of your core convictions and your values what are the decisions? What's the ethical choices you would make? Make them now. Will you work for companies who don't hold the same values as you? Will you work for them? Or will you, would you say no to them? Or perhaps you'd work for them just in a certain way. Or perhaps what does that look like for you? Or will you, um, something that I as a speaker had to work out, will I speak at conferences where others are speaking who I totally disagree with? Will I speak at conferences where it's only male voices or where it's only white voices? What do I, how do you wrestle with that? You need to work out your ethical choices now. This is the walls that you are building and the roof that you are building on the framework. That's what you are doing here. Work out your practices and your choices, your practices and your choices. This is the walls to build your house. And then we will get on to step number five. we almost have this house now. We've got the blueprints and we built the foundations and we built the framework, the structural framework on top of that. And then we've got the roof and the walls now. We're at lockup. We're at lockup, friends. How wonderful. And now we get to do the interior design. Now we get to create. We get the glorious creativity that comes with within this kind of house. Don't try to be like, others in what they're doing now. Now, like you've got all this stuff and a lot of the stuff that we've built now is the stuff people don't get to see. Now's the creative play. Now we get to say, I want to have this colored walls and I want to have these pendant lights and I want to have this flooring and I want to have this furniture and this, what's the house you're going to build that's going to beautifully stem out of your convictions, values, practices, ethical choices, um, what can you now give yourself wholeheartedly to, to find your unique creative voice where your, I would say it's where your abilities meet your proclivities. That's what we're talking about here in this step of interior designing this house that we're building in the city of success. This is where your, your abilities is your strengths and your proclivities is your taste, like the things you were drawn to. This is from uh, a guy named Tom Frost calls this, uh, talks about this and calls this style. This is finding your style um, for your interior design work. <laughs> <laughs> for your creative practice. What's the unique voice that you're going to bring? Um, and, and as you do with the blueprint, the foundations, the structures, the walls, as you then pour your heart into the interior design, the creative stuff, into where your abilities meet your proclivities, where, you, where what you are good at meets what you love, then you're going to be developing this unique style that is you. And friend, what a success that is. If you go through this process, you're going to meet success, whether that looks because you've worked out what kind of building you're going to have. And it's, it may not be a mansion. It may not be this. It may not be that. But it's the building you're choosing and you've worked out what's going to give it the solid foundations, etc., etc. So whether it gets recognized or not, it's a huge success. You're living in the building that you've built, that you want to build 
maybe don't even think about it therefore as like maybe to call it style is is too cheap no style's not cheap i don't know but to like this is you finding your unique voice this is the the painting on the walls and the furniture and the artwork the interiors that match your voice your style you then choose to commit to this thing finding this voice finding your voice of where your abilities meets your taste what you love bringing your whole self to that. Of course, adding different things in as well, but focus in on this thing. Give your whole self to it. Remember success. Success, remember, as Swami Sivananda said, put your heart, mind, and soul into even your smallest act. And this is the secret of success. So illustrator and, and podcaster Andy J. Pizza, he says that your style is the sum of all the creative choices you make consistently. This whole episode is about you making consistent choices. And yes, that is going to make, it's going to help you in your, your style, finding your unique voice, absolutely. Finding the patterns that you love, the wording, the phrasing that you love. The, however, it's going to find all of those things for you, but it's going to do even more than that. It is finding the house that you may build in the city of success so that so that no matter what happens you are living your best creative life whether you are successful in the eyes of the world or a complete failure you are still successful living in your house if you're doing these things you will not sell out in the city of success the house you build will be uniquely, beautifully yours. Whatever that house look like looks like. Stop trying to build that mansion when you just really want to have a rider's cabin in the woods or a submarine under the water or a whatever. What's the kind of life that you want, friends? Give yourself to the building of that, your whole self, to the blueprints, the foundations, the structure, the walls, the interior design, Find your unique style, your unique voice, then you will be successful. You will. And lastly, when success, when success comes that looks like what success, what we often think about as success, just know, Colin McCann says, success too has the arc of story. It will end. Your time in the city of success will come to an end. And you, once again, will either choose to leave the city of success or will be kicked out of it or will be forced out of it by the circumstances of life. And the journey continues past success. There's still an ocean out there waiting for you. You can still head southeast. So don't stall on the journey. Keep going. Keep going friends keep going on your creative journey.